I must admit, I didn't think much of this show the first time I laid eyes on it. Seemed like a bunch of stiffs wasting nice the microphones. Trade of all time happened back in 1803. Go ahead. Napoleon Bonaparte traded the Louisiana Purchase for $3 million. Napoleon, what happened? <laughs> Half the country for $3 million. You can't even get Tucker Barnhart for $3 million. Then I came to realize anymore. these guys are funny. And Justin Fields have identical stats the last five weeks about throwing the football. This guy, okay, and folks, is a fidget spinner. some of the best spare. gamblers I've come to know. If you're betting on USC and or TCU, let it be known, you are a square. TCU is going to hammer this team tomorrow night. And I hate to hear that. Tomorrow when we afternoon. come back in here on Monday, you're going to be happy as a lark because USC lost, but you're going to be wrong about TCU. Get ready for the most useless hour of your day. It's time for Boxed Lunch, presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Now, Casey... Run that track. There are few people more elite at their job than Casey finding royalty free music. I mean, listen, it's gotten progressively better. The vibes that he gives this show, this show leads off with this song, so he sets the tone. He's the leadoff batter. And he sets it well every time. Sets the table. This is Boxing presented by Betfred Sportsbook. I'm Reed Mouse. We got Paul Fresher and Casey McAllister, the producers today, joining the joining the show, guys. Thank you for you know what? You guys do such a great job. You, you do two hours with off the bench, and then I just string you along for another hour, and I feel bad about that, but I do appreciate you guys just yakking it up with me over here. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Let's rock. Let's rock and roll. All right, so today on the show, we're gonna talk a lot of Reds. Uh, we, we might talk a little bit of football, as you see on the J-Bar. Jeff o- Okuda got traded yesterday. And then I get a proposition to Paul. Got a proposition Ooh, to Paul. I'm okay. trying, to, trying to sell him on it. All right. I'm trying to sell him on what I just talked to Tom about, the Hamilton City Championship. But that's for a couple months. So I got a few, few, few weeks to really sell him on it. But first and foremost, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Another one loss, one run loss yesterday. And, you know, we're getting to the point of the season, only 10 games in. And you're already starting to hear people going, let's fire David Bell. And then there's this other side of the aisle that, you know, sees the the Cincinnati native, sees the man of Moeller and David Bell and goes, I mean, what what do you expect him to do? And it, and it, it rings so many similarities to... You know, you're at a family function and politics gets brought up. And I don't want to talk about politics. We're not going to do it. So I'm going to make this point and then move on. We're not going to get into the depths of it. But you start talking about the president initially. You know, people start firing off just crazy stuff back and forth. And at some point, someone throws up, you tell me what this president has done to make your life better. And you you never have an answer for that. What, I got a checklist? Got a grocery list of things, of policies that the president has put into place that can just snap off the the top of my head. That's what this feels like on really both sides of it, right? David Bell, as the leader of the Reds clubhouse, really has nowhere to turn. I mean, there's some people that are automatically, every decision he makes, 
are going to be, this guy's terrible. Get him out of there. And then there's some people that look at the roster, and rightfully so, and see, this team isn't built for winning, so why are we getting so hard on him? What is he supposed to do? Now, we're 10 games into the season, so if you want to, you know, an analogy to football, we're week one, right? There's 162 games. There's 17 weeks in an NFL season. We're through week one, and you're already calling for the manager to get fired? What I want Reds fans to do, because it really does feel tired, I want both sides to just stop talking about David Bell. And ask yourself one question and one question only. Do I want David Bell to be the manager of the Reds when it is time to compete? I don't want to hear, no, I want to see him get these young guys up and, and manage for a year and then we'll decide. He's had five years to, to state his case. You know, that's that's how long Brian Price, Dusty Baker was, was a manager for six years. In fact... The only, there's only been two managers in Reds history that have managed longer than six years. This is year five for David Bell. So what I want to see is no talk about David Bell, really, until the end of the year. You assess it at the end of the year, and I know you're going to have situations where he, you know, it seems like a terrible, why did we bring this guy in? Why did we pinch hit this? Whatever. I just don't want to hear, we need to fire him right now, or no, 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 we need to give him more leash. He's had plenty of leash. He's seen a team rebuild and, and compete for playoff spots, and it didn't go well. And now we're going to see another rebuild and, and potentially in a couple of years start competing for a playoff spot. So ask yourself one question and one question only. When those, when those young players come up and are ready to compete, do you want David Bell at this very time? There's no more indecision. There's no nothing else that you can learn from David, Be David Bell's managerial style or what he can do with the team. Do you want him to be your manager in two, three years when you want to compete for a pennant, when you want to compete for the division title, when you want to compete for a World Series? And if the answer is no, then at the end of the year, you part ways with him. No need in firing him midseason. That helps nobody. Let him, let him manage this season. And if the answer is yes, you give him, you extend him. You say, all right, you're our guy. Three, four more years. And that's that. I personally, as a non-fan of the Reds, think I've seen all I've needed to see. I think I'm ready to roll. Go to the next guy. Now, Paul? No, go ahead. Finish your point. Do you think they should ride out David Bell going forward? Okay. Uh, yeah. I. So this was a big point of emphasis back with the Orioles and 2021 when Brandon Hyde was managing and they weren't winning a lot of games and had all this talent in the minor league system and you kept thinking to yourself okay are they going to make a move here are they going to keep Brandon Hyde or are they going to ride this out with him knowing that they aren't going to win games and what they what you do here in this situation and this is not rocket science you hit the nail on the head Reed you you want at this point your manager to be whoever it's going to be when they finally start winning games. Right. And if you don't think that David Bell is the man for the job to start winning games when that time comes in one year, two years, three years, then 
you don't do it in the middle of the season because you're not competing for anything this year. Right. If you do, it's all gravy. And maybe, if anything, it shows you what kind of a manager he is. If, if you get to July and you're even remotely flirting with 500 baseball somehow, then maybe you start to take a look at David Bell and say, okay, what do we know now that he has a chance to win again? Because he's won once. They've torn down. They've rebuilt. Now he would have a chance to win again. I think if you think that he is the manager for the future and he's going to be the one that leads this rebuild into its next phase where you're going to start winning and competing again, then you stick with him. If not, like you said, you fire him after the year. But there's no reason to add more distraction to this right. team when guys are trying to build, they're trying to learn, they're trying to grow, they're trying to learn how to win together. There's no reason to disrupt all of that 15 games into the season, 20 games, 30 games, 40 games into the season. Just do it at the end of the year. I don't know if they will. I don't know if they should. But do it at the end of the year. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's the point that I'm trying to make is – I don't think that you can make the argument of we've got to see what David Bell is going to do, right? We've got to, we got to see how it turns out. We've seen this is the fifth season, man. And yeah, it's a brand new roster. Yeah, he's building towards a brand new roster. They tore it down. But we've seen it. What he has with a playoff-worthy roster. And maybe 2021 was they overachieved a bit. 183 games. But they were still competing for a playoff spot and didn't get there. Fell apart. They made the postseason in the COVID year. Didn't score a run. Got swept. So, I don't think that there's still something to learn from David Bell. At all. I think I've seen enough. And I think I'm ready to move on. Once again, as a Cubs fan, not a Reds fan. But I think Reds fans are ready to move on. The last thing you want is to hold them around for a couple more years and continuously have these conversations because it grows stale. It's already grown stale. Ah, uh, David Bell stinks. Wait a minute, David Bell's not bad. David Bell's got to have a winning team. I think you move on. And I don't think that's a... I don't think that's to condemn David Bell as a manager. I just... I don't see it working moving forward if it hasn't worked yet, if we're still having these conversations in year five, then moving forward, it's only going to get worse when they should be competing. Yeah, and, and the other thing off of that, Reed, is that the last thing you want to happen is for the Reds to be good, for all of that talent to realize itself, and to get to a point where you're contending for a postseason spot and maybe a World Series. Right. And then the manager is the problem. Like, the manager should not be the issue here. The issue should be developing the talent, getting the talent mm -hmm. to the major league level, and competing. Manager, in 2023, the manager is secondary, if not third, if not fourth on the priority list. The way that these teams are operated with the front office decisions and everything else, there is no reason that the manager should be a concern whenever this team becomes good. I got a question for you both because it's a bit different. Um, if you're looking at other team, like other sports, like if a football coach gets fired, usually the replacement guy is someone that was on the staff previously. They don't go and hire some, some guy outside most of the time. Um, the Colts last year are a special case, but with like the Reds, 
if you're saying that what you've seen from from Bell is enough and that you probably aren't going to hire him past this season, what what's the harm in – What is there any sort of, I guess, like structural change between one manager to the other when it's all more or less just game decisions is my question. Like right. if there's... you get someone from the outside or do, will they hire from within if they were to do something like that? What, what would you expect if they were to fire David Bell midway through the season? So baseball is different because typically when a, a person gets fired in the NBA, there is somebody else, you know, cir- circling the wagon, right? Like, say so like, hey, let's go get this guy. Let's go get him right here. Football is the same way. Fire this coach. Let's go get this team's offensive coordinator. In baseball, there's three different routes you can go when you hire a manager. You can go the veteran route, you know, someone who has coached before, managed before, and you want to give him a shot with your franchise. Maybe he's been successful. Maybe he, you know, has been a journeyman, got a few other jobs. Bring him in. The second route is hiring somebody within your own organization. Bench coach um, is typically the the first to come. Maybe it's the pitching coach. Maybe it's the hitting coach. It doesn't matter. You hire from within because you you like what he brings to the team. You think he clicks with the team. It just seems like a right fit. And then the third option, which we've seen more and more teams do this, is get a young, recently retired ball player. You see the Cubs do this with David Ross. They hired him just mere years after he won, was on the World Series winning team. Gabe Kapler, David DeJesus, Alex Cora, all these young guys that are coming up and you give them a shot. You say, hey, this is your time to shine. We want a young voice. And that's the real question that the Reds have to answer. If they do go the route of David Bell and or firing David Bell, and that is, do you want to get the veteran guy? Do you want to get the guy that's been around the block a time or two with these young guys that could teach them something that has been around and has a tried and true formula and he wants to, to prove it with your team? Or do you want to get the young guy and have him grow with your roster? Have him grow his managerial style. Have him grow, you know, everything that it takes to be a big league guy. And have him grow with the guys that are also trying to be big league guys on the field. So that's the two routes to answer your question. And unlike football where there's styles, there's not a whole lot of style, right, in, in baseball. I mean, you can you could go a more analytical route to where, you know, you're using openers. You're using, you, you know, you stick to the formula, stick to the math. Or you got more of a feel for things, as the old baseball guys have done. But I don't know what that is going to be the case for the Reds. I, I, I am, once again, on the plateau that the Reds should get rid of David Bell. And if you had me lean for the next guy, I would say get a young manager. Get a recently retired guy. And these guys come out of the woodworks, right? You don't know who it's going to be. Typically former catchers. At least that's been the old the old way of doing it. I don't want to see a red, a former red, be the manager. I know that was Barry Larkin was a was a popular choice for a while. Listen, Barry Larkin has nothing to prove for the Reds. That can only go south. He would never do that. Right. That was the that was when Brian Price got the job. Right. Yeah. That was that was a typical thing. And even when David Bell became the manager, once again Barry Larkin came rolling around. That that helps nobody. No. That can only hurt his. Hurt his legacy here in Cincinnati. But personally, David Bell's gone. I want him to be, I, I think you should want him to be gone. 
And I think they should go young to grow with the youth that you have coming up. All right, let's move on to the Reds themselves. And they lost another one-run game last night. They are 1-4 in in one-run games this season. And you mentioned it. Paul, I believe you said that they have either been tied or they've been leading in every single one of those. And all losses. six losses. Yep. It's one in five or all six. All, losses. In all, in oh. all six losses, they have either been tied or had the lead at some point in the game. Here's the thing about one run losses. I think we can agree on a couple things. The way that the Reds are competing at this early stage in the season is surprising. Most most fans, most people around the game of baseball against a tough team like the Braves, against the Phillies who won the National League last year, that they're competing against these teams. Really, like taking it down to the wire. But I don't think that you should take solace in that because the Reds' roster is not built to win. So over the course of 162 games, you play... I think on average about a fourth to a third. 40 to 50 games are one-run games. They were under 500 in one-run games last year and 40, 40, I think 44 different games. You have to win those games. There's only so many times that the Reds are going to put out their best foot forward, right? There's only so many times they're going to show up to the field and really compete with good teams. You've got to win them. And I know this season isn't going to be defined by wins or losses. I get it. But at the end of the year... The difference between a 70-win ball club, 75-win ball club, and a 58-win ball club are those one-run games. There's going to be so many times this year where the Reds never stood a chance. They lose 12-3. to They lose 7 to nothing. But when they bring it forward, when they are winning or when they are competing, you've got to win these close games. Because not only does it help look in retrospect and say, man, we really played well this year, or man, we played better than we expected. But it also builds in the clubhouse to say, we win these close games. These are our games. It's not a constantly going to the dugout like, man, we were so close, had a little bit of a rally there in the ninth inning, just didn't have enough. Or, man, we were leading through seven, the bullpen just blew it again. Instead, it's, all right, we're late in this ball game. We're going to come back. We win these games. Or we're winning at the seventh inning stretch. We win these games. Shut it down, bullpen. You build team camaraderie. You build an identity. And you become a favorable franchise when you win run, one-run games. Now, at what point, Casey, Paul... Do you start looking at these one-run games and you stop taking solace and competing in them? And you think, we've got to start winning these. I mean, just from a sporting, like a professional college, any, any team, philosophy is, you know, they got to learn how to win. These are those moments that you got to learn how to win in order to become a good ball club, a good any anything. you got to learn how to win them. So, to me... The season will never – there will never be in my mind a point in this season where those one ball games where they lose will not sting just a little bit because they still have not learned how to win those, in my opinion. That, that's where I would be coming from. I kind of get the perspective of you can't expect to win all of them. 
especially for this Reds ball club. But for me, it's very similar to like the Bengals when they got Joe Burrow in his rookie season. They had to learn how to win games. Mm-hmm. They had to learn how to win in multiple ways. The Reds have to do the same thing. They got to be competitive. They got to stay competitive. I know it's a huge mental task for them to do that, but you got to be in these situations as many times as possible. So then the next year, you can take that step forward. So then you can be above 500 in those situations. So that's my opinion on the situation. That I, yeah, I've already lost the, the leash on the moral victories, I guess you could say, because it's so clear that when they get themselves into this situation, the bullpen's going to let them down. So it's not like you can even put yourself in this spot and think, well, they've been close, they have a great bullpen, but the, bu- the bullpen's blown it two or three times, and the other two or three times you just chalk it up to how baseball works. That's not the case here. They have a trash bullpen, which makes you think, all right, they can be as competitive as they want to be, and then you get to the back end of the game, and the game's over because you can't compete in it. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at last year, and I know this isn't breaking new ground, but you look at last year, and I'm, I'm looking around the MLB, how they did in one-run games. Only one team made the postseason that had a losing record in one-run games. There was two different teams, the Giants being an, ex- an exception there, that they were 81-81, and 81, and they had about eight games under 500 in one-run games. You flip the script, they're in the postseason. They beat out the Padres for the wild card. You've got to win the game. It's like, like Paul made the, the joke on off the bench earlier. The joke last year was, look what the boys did in Atlanta. You can't be sitting in June, in July and being like, man, you remember how well we played at the beginning of April? If we would have just won a couple more of those games. Got to start winning them. Moral victories don't mean anything at the major league level. When you play 162 games, moral victories mean this much. Yep. Just win the game. No one, no one remembers how you did it at the end of the year. You just come back. Is there a tick in the win or is there a tick in the loss? Simple as that. If the Reds want to really start making waves in Major League Baseball, not this year, but next year, and start building something, you got to start winning these close games. So the next Reds topic is Joey Votto. And you guys touched on this a little bit in Off the Bench. How bad he has started this season at the minor league level. 36 plate appearances. Believe there was 34 at bats. I'm gonna get these stats up at the at the right time. But he has struck out in 20 at bats out of 34. 20 times in 34 at bats. Showing up the minors right now. This is his slash line. 125 batting average, 194 on base percentage, 250 slugging percentage. 36 plate appearances, 32 at bats, just four hits, one of them being an extra base hit. It was a double. So I hate to say this, and maybe I'm jumping on the gun because it's only 34 at-bats, and Vado typically does start off slow. Are we concerned? Is it time for the future Hall of Famer to hang him up? Uh. Is it time that we just say, listen, Vado, we've got other young guys we got to see play. we got to see it through. we got to give these guys 400 at-bats. We can't be giving them to you anymore. Maybe 
talk about where else he can go, put him on a team, see if any of these teams that think that they're playoff contenders here in April or May, and just go like, hey, you want to Joey Votto? We, we just can't play him. We've got to see too many guys. Are, are, are you concerned that he, that he no longer bangs, as they say? He's always started slow like this. I mean, the constant narrative around Joey Votto, if you look at his April numbers versus the rest of the season, has been that he hasn't gotten out of the gate very strong. You thought maybe he was correcting that when he homered on the first pitch down in Nashville in AAA this year. But he's also 38, 39, 40, 41. How old is he? 39. 39? So he's 39 years old been around for a while you have a lot of these guys that like you said read need at bats but I'm still not ready to totally throw in the towel for some reason I just look back at what he did two years ago and I think to myself maybe there's maybe you can squeeze a little bit out of that I don't know it's a really tough decision because he very clearly still wants to keep playing he wants to keep playing at a high level and I don't want to doubt the guy so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave him in there until at the major league level he's shown consistently over over a big sample size, not just 36 at bats, that he can't do it anymore. Yeah, thank you for correcting me there. He had two extra base hits, a double, and a home run. You mentioned the the home yeah. run that he had there, but I just don't know how you can justify giving Joey Votto 400 at bats, 350 at bats. I don't know, letting him play in 120 games this year. When you've got so many guys you need to see through. You've well, got so many guys that could use the at-bats. And you're not competing for anything. It's, it's just a service to a guy who's been in the franchise for over a decade. And I think, Paul, you, you sum up the feelings of most Reds fans to where it doesn't make sense playing him. It, it really doesn't. You, you can't wrap your mind. You can't bring up reasons on why he should be getting these starts when it is time for him to, to come up and start playing in the MLB again. But you feel just connected to him. You feel like, hey, he's been around for 15 years. We just got to keep playing him. You feel connected. He's been the face of the franchise. Well, the other frustrating thing too, Reed, is that he's not going to be a part of whenever this team wins again. Because he's either going to retire after this year, he's going to get traded after this year to a team that is going to compete, or the Reds won't be at a World Series caliber competition level next year. So he's not in the picture for whenever the Reds want to compete for a World Series. A lot of these guys that are coming through the minor league system that might currently be in the major league uh, on the major league team are part of that vision. So do you keep them on when you're potentially jeopardizing those opportunities? All those things you got to think about. I'm looking in the chat, and there's a lot of people defending Joey right now, and they're making all valid points, right? He's coming off an injury. He's, he's starting slow and all these things. But that's not the point, is he just he, – uh, he just I don't know. I don't know. How can you play the guy? How can you throw him out there a hundred in 100 games? Because he's a fan favorite? Does he sell a few more tickets? Ha Give him a chance, man. T talk to him and say, listen, we, we've got guys we got to see through. 
We're gonna we're gonna ship. We're gonna put your name on the chopping block, on the trading block. We're gonna say, see see what comes back. And we'll we'll get your opinion on all these on all these uh, potential trades. But we're building for something in the future here, and you're just you just can't be a part of it. And I'm sorry, that's just the business of the game. <laughs> and everyone's getting on me. But man. You, you can't hold on to a guy when you need other people to play. You just can't. Spencer Steer, play him at first. I don't even know if he plays first. I know he plays third, but can he play first? Jason Vossler's looked great. You got other guys. Matt McClain, get them at bats. Tyler Stevenson, maybe get him some ABs over at first base. I know he's going to be a DH catcher. I know they want him to catch. But so many guys could use those at-bats over what we've seen from Joey Votto. <laughs> Nick Kirby. I will clip this one out and put it on YouTube. All right, so that's the end of Joey Votto talk. Right when it starts getting spicy and start, start uh, upheaving a lot of uh, unpopular opinions. Jeff Okuda. 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 He got traded to the Atlanta Falcons for a fifth-round pick. Now, Case, mm -hmm. hindsight being 2020, as it always is, the man from Ohio State University, a former top five pick for the Detroit Lions, just got traded for a fifth rounder. Yeah. You would have liked to see the Bengals kick the tires on that. Yeah. Um, I really would have liked to see them make an attempt. And I, I don't know if they made an attempt or not. I thought. I wasn't really privy to that knowledge, but I would have loved to have seen them make this trade regardless because it was a fifth-round pick. He's your starting three, number three corner, um, former first-round pick, number three pick from Ohio State. Lots of people in our chat know of him. Had some injury history problems, so I can see why maybe you'd be a little uh, hesitant but he played on a really bad Detroit Lions defense team. And, I mean, the, he didn't really have a great chance, if you ask me, to showcase his true abilities. And I think in the system that Luana Rumo has in Cincinnati would have done him a lot of favors. And the fact that he doesn't have to go up against number ones like he did in Detroit would help him out tremendously. But it wasn't even just that it was the fifth round pick because a lot of people were pointing out to his, to the contract. What What is he worth? Well, he was due to earn $10 million in Detroit, but they couldn't trade him to the Falcons without having to pay for half of that. So the Bengals would have only had to pay $5 million for Jeff Okuda to be your number three guy. And then you have the option of a fifth year if he plays well. And then you don't have to worry about your cornerback problem. So I don't know. I would have just loved to have seen him in stripes come back home to Ohio. And I'm not really a, a Ohio State guy, but I remember Jeff Okuda coming out of Ohio State. He was, he was the real deal. And I haven't seen a ton of... I've only looked at some of the stats and in his injury history. 
but I just know that Detroit Lions team, when he first was drafted, was not good. It was abysmal. They didn't have any pass rush. He was left out on islands a lot, having to face number ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the only thing that, that's the bugaboo is the injury history thing. But uh, your third-string guy, I'm willing to take that chance. And, and the Bengals have been the land of reclamation projects, right? Yeah. Eli Apple. I would agree with that. Von Bell. Yeah, I think Lou and Arumo is a, a whisperer, at least when it, in terms of whisperer. secondary play. Whisperer. Um, he has been able to make Awuzie look like a number one corner, not just that, but a shutdown corner, a top 10 corner, top five corner sometimes. He's made Eli Apple look really good. Um, Mike Hilton, he was already pretty good from Pittsburgh, but he looks really, really good in Cincinnati. I don't know. I don't know, man. I just would have loved to have seen that opportunity. That takes away a need and a potential draft pick later on in this draft. And I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on that, but you save yourself a second or third round pick or, or your first round pick for that matter. But hindsight's, it is what it is. Bengals are still fine. Um, Sidney Jones is okay, but I think Jeff Okuda would have been the steal for this I, Bengals team. I, I think this is just one of those things where you can't beat up the Bengals for, for not getting on this. Cause I think this was probably a, a price that that snuck up on the market, right? I mean, yeah. you, you look back after the trade's done and be like, "Oh wow, I would have I would have traded a fifth rounder for Jeff Okuda." Like I would have done that. I think every team in the league probably would have done that. So it's just nothing that you can lament them on on not kicking up the tires over to Detroit for getting him for that. But it's just one of those things where it's not like it slipped through the fingers of the Bengals. Right. right? We have no yeah. idea they were even privy to that knowledge. Right. So I agree with that. It's just a shame. I love this chat. Nothing's better than this chat. All right, Paul. Let's talk shop here. All right. I'm open to it. What do I have to do to get you to play with me in the Hamilton City Championship? So, I did some soul searching on this last night. You pitched it to me yesterday at lunch. Yeah. The problem is that it's Father's Day weekend. Yeah. So I got to see what's going on in the Fritchner household. Does your dad like golf? He does. But he wouldn't he wouldn't play competitively. I know, but what's the best Father's Day present you've ever given your dad? It's a great question, Reed. I'd have to really I'd have to think about that. And does it top winning a na- winning a city championship for the Fritchner household on Father's Day. No, it definitely wouldn't. I mean, it, whatever it, whatever the best gift is could not top bringing a trophy home and putting it up on the mantle. Yeah, I would say so, the Fritchners. Don't even put Paul on there. Just Fritchner. Yeah, Fritchner household, Hamilton City champions. What kind of score do I need to shoot to win this thing? Okay. So you typically play the first round at Potter's. I. I forget if it alternates. So it's a two-round tournament. You play at the two city courses here in Hamilton, Potters and Twin Run. I believe they typically play the first round at Potters and the second round at Twin Run, though it might alternate every year. You ready? Okay. For Potters, you got to go under par. 
Par is 69. You got to be shooting probably like a 67, 68. And then shooting right around a 72, right around par on the second day. Now, the guy who consistently wins this, we talk about Michael Phelps, we talk about Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, all the great individual champions of our lifetime. Kyle Hodges, here in Hamilton, has won it like 10 of the last 12 years. Xavier Grad, former state champion. So that's who you're gunning for. You think you got that in you? So here's my follow-up question to that. You said there were different flights. Yes, yes. So... What's it take to win the other one of the other flights? That I do not know. So what typically happens is you play the first round, play with whoever you want to play with. So me and Paul can play this first round together. Yeah. And then after scoring gets through, we wait around and we hear what flight we're in. And then you get your tea time for the next day. There's the championship flight, which I don't know how many people are competing. My brother does this every year. And my brother Matt, every year, Seems like he's got a shot going into the second day and just collapses. And it's become a running joke in my household. But there's a championship flight, the A flight, and the B flight. I think that you should gun to win that B flight. Just bad enough to be like leading the B flight. And I don't even know what that looks like. Maybe like a 82 on the first day. 12 over, 10 over, somewhere in that range. And then you go into the second day and be like, all right, let's, let's gun this. I'm, t- I'm telling you to sandbag a little bit. Oh, I'm, let me tell you. If you need me to sandbag, I'll sandbag. You're a sandbagging son of a gun. I'll yeah. sandbag if you need me to. I think this sounds like fun. Look, I'm all in except for the Father's Day thing. Otherwise, I am all in. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, though, if you're in the B flight, you'll play early on Sunday morning. Because the champion, like, it goes later in the day. Like, the winners go in the back. So if we're in the B flight, I mean, we're teeing off at 9 a.m., get done, still still have a chance to grill out. And, uh, gosh, I always forget your dad's name. It's the old car. It's the old car. Selden. Ste- what is it? Selden. Selden. For some reason, I think I want to always say, like, Seltzer or something like that. It's close enough. Selden. Should be driving Seldens, not Fords. Selden. Selden. That's why you hate Henry Ford. That's, that's right. That's why. I always, I, I imagine that Selden Fritchner makes a mean grill, like oh. makes some steak. Is he steak? He loves or getting pork, out on that grill. Pork chop. Good pork chop. Good, good pork chicken. chop. Chicken. Chicken. Mm. Selden Fritchner. Mm. All right. Yeah. All right, we've, we've wasted All enough right. time. Baseball most use, before we get out of here? Yeah. Most useless hour of Raise. your day. You like the raise again. You're riding the hot hands. Raise. The wagon. Raise. Casey, you got any bets tonight? Um, I was, you know, I'm going to go with another Nerfie. I know we talked about the Nerfie. You got another Nerfie. Me, me and Casey, we haven't been betting in a while. And we both, we both hopped on the wagon. We got on the Betfred Sportsbook app and we, we placed a Nerfie. He placed a Nerfie. I placed a run line. Both hit. I bet on the Rays last night. They had their ace. I had to go with them. What Nerfie you like today? Braves versus the Reds. No runs first no in, runs. in the wow. Reds game? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are two good pitchers. Both of them are currently perfect this season with nerfy records. So, I like Hunter Green starting off strong. I don't know about the rest of the time, but. Can, I, can I bet on how many innings Hunter Green goes? 
Dash under four. Take yeah. the under. <laughs> Whatever it is, take the under. Take the under. Just just hammer it. How many pitches in the first inning? Can you bet on that? 30 pitches. Take that. Spencer Strider. If you guys haven't seen Spencer Strider pitch before, his nickname is Quadzilla. There might not be a man wearing tighter pants in the entire world than Spencer Strider. Those things are painted. Oh, well, well, who? No, somebody in the World Series like two years ago. Because they did the Will Ferrell. You ever seen that Will Ferrell skit? No. My type was it a brave? Song. No, it was a Dodger. Oh, I know who it was. It was um, not Walker Kessler. That's the college Walker basketball. Bu- Walker Bueller. Walker, Walker Bueller. Bueller. He wore some tight pants. Yes, yeah. he did. Spencer Strider, Quadzilla. Boys, boys, quads are huge. Tonight, I'll look this up. I like the Cardinals' money line. You're going to have to pay a little bit of juice on that. You're going to have to pay a little juice. But the Cardinals have Jack Flaherty on the mound who I like him to, to come back. They're playing on the road in Colorado. Um, it's 170, so quite a bit of juice on that. I also like a little bit of a parlay. This is a this is a heart parlay. Take the Cubs to win and the under 11 runs. Marcus Stroman's on the mound. He has yet to give up a run this season. So take that. That's about plus 2680. 268. 268. So, All right. Wheel of Lunch, what we got? currently blank we need some suggestions sonic throw sonic on there throw sonic on there okay uh i i'll make this clear i gotta go to a doctor's appointment today but if it lands on sonic i will go to sonic what time's your doctor's appointment i gotta be there at like 2 15 ish 2 30 mm-hmm. okay so that's gonna be quick it's a ways it's all the way across town so oh, okay so you gotta go i gotta well I, I may not end up going to lunch but if it's sonic i will go to sonic McDonald's, throw Wendy's on there. Let's get all the let's get all the quick options. Okay. Back to Taco Bell. See if Taco Bell yeah, can make we a got comeback. Quesaritos leaving Thursday, so we might as well throw it on there. Taco Bell. Let's get one more. Let's get one more quick option. Subway. Subway. Sure. I'll yeah. Subway. Throw Subway right on there. Right there. That's right Subway. there. Throw Subway on there. Okay. We're happy with this. Let's let's you roll. Frauds. This is elimination. Oh. Oh no. Okay. All right, see you, Subway. That was probably my least least favorite up there. Do we post a picture in the Discord or on Twitter? What happens if it, whenever it inevitably does land on Sonic again? Oh man, we got, oh, a, we got no. a real shot at we got a real shot at Sonic today. Uh oh. We're going to Wendy's. We're going to the the Koopy knockoff. It's not Wendy's. You hate the Wendy's. I hate the this side. Wendy's. Oh no, we got a fifty percent shot oh. at Sonic. Oh, this is a this is a bad situation for Paul here. Cause my either I mean I'm either in a time crunch or all right, 50-50. Oh, it's Wendy's. It's Wendy's. Oh, well. Uh-oh. Next time, Mouse Cop. Next time, Mouse Cop. You got close. You'll, you'll get closer, Mouse Cop. Congratulations. I'll get another Musky Hoosier. Drum Hunter fan club's got got another year of life. And now we got another Musky Hoosier. Guys, this has been Box Lunch. We're presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It's the best sports book in Cincinnati for all your baseball bets, all your NBA bets, whatever you got. No, wait, hold on a second. We don't eliminate what it lands. We always go when there's two left. We always go to the one that it lands on. Yeah, it's always the, the last it's one. It's always the one that it lands on. Always been the last one. Every, every, Emily, you can come back to every been show. The that's always been the rule. Always been the rule. Yeah. You've been watching the show long enough. But, trying to pull a fast one on us. Yeah. Trying to guilt us. Betfred Sportsbook.
presents Box Lunch. I'm Remouse, Paul Fritcher, Casey McAllister. See you guys on Friday.